We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports, and we are coming to you today to recap what we know about Titans' mandatory minicamp. I'm Justin Graver, and with me, as always, Justin Mello. What is up today, Justin? Doing well, man. Excited to kind of recap mandatory minicamp while we had on-field practices on June 14th and 15th. I don't believe they practiced on the 16th, which was the final day of camp. Vrabel typically doesn't have them practice on the final day of camp. That's a tradition that he uh, has kind of established in his time here as head coach, and that, uh, you know, stayed the case here uh, in 2022. So but we got two, you know, two good days of practice to talk about. Lots of news uh, to recap. Yeah, so I think the way we're going to do this today is talk about it like the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a lot of good that came out of minicamp. There's a few things that are bad. There's one thing that feels ugly. And like, with the caveat being that it is June and none of this really matters. And by the time training camp rolls around, we'll forget every single storyline that we're talking about right now and move on. But in the interest of keeping everything up to date and staying informed on what's going on with the Titans, we're going to go through what happened at mandatory minicamp, which really is just an install period. I mean... Like you said, there are only two days on the field, one day where they're doing meetings and stuff, I, I'm assuming. I'm not even sure what they did on the 16th. Might have been but weight room stuff. I think previously been... they had just done some lifting and, and things of that nature. Right, and Vrabel mentioned that they'd be in there lifting uh, at his press conference on the 15th, so that's that's likely what it's, what it's about. And Ryan Tannehill was – Paul Kuharski asked Tannehill, like, what are you trying to get out of this one drill? It's like 12 minutes on the field. Like, what's the game here? And Tannehill was like, well, it's an install. It's the first time we're running these plays. And that's like the large – like theme of this whole thing is it's the first time they're out there on the field running certain plays installing certain things but we can still learn about who's standing out who's not even out there and uh, what they said at the press conferences so let's start with the good and I think the really good here is that rookie tight end Chig Aquanco is making plays apparently he had four touchdowns in two days of practice <laughs> out there he's clearly got a early connection with Ryan Tannehill developing what do you think about this I mean Rookie tight ends typically is a position that don't contribute very early on, and you just signed Austin Hooper to be your primary pass-catching tight end. But even so, what do you think about Chig going out, showing out for these two practices at minicamp? I think it's such good news, right? Because it's also a continuation of of what we saw him do at rookie minicamp, right, where where he was also really good. Uh, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm really excited about this player. I I think, you know, we've talked about it a lot probably, but I think the scheme fit is there. Uh, I I think the talent is certainly there. Run after catch ability. He's so physical. We've kind of made some, you know, comparisons that he could be a little John New Smith light. We saw that from even a height weight perspective and and some of the uh, athletic testing numbers. I'm really curious to see how quickly he gets on the field via meaningful snaps, you know, and, and not just being regular season snaps, because on one hand, I think there's a path here for him to get on the field quickly because you don't have a lot of proven playmakers right now, right? Like obviously Austin Hooper, Robert Woods, uh, 
you know, Nick Westbrook, depending on, on how you feel. And everyone else is a rookie, essentially, it feels like, right? Like yeah. the Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips and, and Trig years. So on one hand, there is a, a path for him to get on the field, especially if he's making plays and you're looking for a guy to make plays in this sort of, you know, overhaul uh, of the personnel that you've gone through for uh, on, on offense. On the other hand, you know, if he struggles with blocking and things of that nature, it could go the other way maybe, right? Because obviously Austin Hooper, I mean, Hooper's going to be your number one tight end no matter what. And he's a dual threat guy that can both block and catch. So he's going to be on the field a lot, right? I, I think yeah. it's safe to, uh, safe to assume. And then if the blocking doesn't go so well uh, for Chig, then you wonder how much they'll play him over a Jeff Swain, right? Because uh, Swain is a guy that they obviously like, and I know how Titans fans feel about him, but they just resigned him to a one-year deal. Was I think three and a half million? Is two and a half or three and a half? I feel like it was three and a half million. One year, three and a half million. I thought it was three and a half. I want to say 3.4 was guaranteed, and the other 100K was a workout bonus, right? That is correct. Yeah, so they like him, right? He essentially already earned his $3.5 million for 2022. So if the blocking doesn't go so well for Chig, and you know, we'll see once training camp preseason and all that starts, when they put the pads on and he actually gets a chance uh, to really have some live blocking reps, um, it could go the other way, as I said, right? So I, I think we're all kind of hoping that's not the case because you want to see this guy on the field. And if you're a Titans fan and you're a fan of guys that catch footballs and make big plays <laughs> with the ball in their hands – you probably want to see him on the field, right? Over Swain. Yeah. So, well, especially uh, but, with, um, I mean, this was a couple of weeks ago now, but our buddy James, uh, No Flags Film, James Foster tweeted out the yeah. most blown blocks in 2021 <laughs> via Sports Info Solutions. And Jeff Swain was number one in the NFL, most blown blocks last year with 15. Michael Pruitt was fifth. So, you want to see yeah. um, if Chig can block, you don't want to see Swain on the field. You want to see Chig on the field over him. So, I mean, We'll see how this shakes out once the pads come on, but it's interesting to track. It certainly is. And like, like I said, I'll, I'll just close out our, our note on him by saying I'm super excited about the player. Ryan Tannehill is super excited about the player, right? And I think that's a lot of fun. Like I wrote a story uh, already a couple months back, I think, um, or, or certainly when the first time Tannehill got to work with him on the field or watch film of his, even he mentioned in college, uh, he lit up Tannehill at the podium when they asked him about getting to work with that guy because he goes, wow, he makes plays. You see him catching balls in the flat, making defenders miss in the open field, all kinds of – I really took note of it because, you know, Tannehill doesn't give you a whole lot typically in press conferences, but as soon as that guy's name came up, Tannehill lit up, right, and really went into detail. So I'm excited about the player, and I think it's clear the Titans are as well. Yeah, something else good that we saw this week, and I don't know how how much this qualifies as good, I guess, but I think it's a good sign for the future, is we learned that Nate Davis got COVID not once, but twice during last season. Jesus and we Christ, Nate. I know, right? And we've talked a lot about Going around how... around licking doorknobs? What's going on in, <laughs> in the half talk... twice? I, I haven't even had it once yet, twice. That's crazy. Yeah. During, the, during the season, right? So what is that, four or five months apart? Yeah, right. So Crazy. not, yeah, within like, you know, you're supposed to be immune for six weeks or six months or some, I don't know the science, but there's science there that says how much, the how long the antibodies last. But we know Nate Davis had an inconsistent season. He was definitely not his best. And I don't know if this explains all of it, but it's a, to me, explains a large chunk of it. I mean, I think you can chalk most of this up to him dealing with COVID twice throughout the season which lingering effects of we heard 
um, in twenty in the twenty twenty season about Miles Garrett having to do breathing exercises four times a day after he was recovering from COVID. We know Jeffrey Simmons had some ill effects from COVID in twenty twenty that he did not show in twenty twenty one. So I think that this is a good sign that Nate Davis can have the bounce back year that the offensive line, frankly, needs him to have. And in a contract year to go out and earn his role as the right guard of the future for the Titans and get that new contract and be a big part of, you know, a big component of this team that is still largely unknown. So I'm very encouraged to find out that Nate Davis had COVID twice for what it means for 2022, even though I'm just sorry that he had to go through all that two times. (laughs) Yeah, all kidding aside, of course, that's terrible, right? That that yeah, and it sounded like when he when he spoke about it the other day, it sounds like he had struggled with it, right? Like it wasn't something where he was just uh, asymptomatic and didn't even know and just got past it immediately. It sounds like he had some struggles with it. So so happy to hear, of course, that he's doing better now and has, has recovered well, uh, nicely. He, I, I I largely agree with you. I just I, I don't want to make too many um, assumptions, so to speak. But it would make sense, right, that it, that it was sort of a, potentially a reasoning um, uh, for his uh, sort of less than desired play, right? Because he was so good in, in 2020, right? That's something we talked about so much, how underrated he was in 2020, right? Because not a lot of people knew who he was yet, and, and he was so excellent. When 2021 comes along, you expected more of the same, and it didn't really go that way. And a lot of the struggles felt mental too right like it, it was the the twists and the stunts and things that seem to be getting to him how much of that can be uh, is it slowing down your, your you know your physical aspects of the game and you're slow to react or or I couldn't you know I, I thought at one point I wondered how much of it had to do with um having a new partner at right tackle right in, in David Kissenberry so it's obviously hard to say overall but uh, I do think it's certainly safe to assume it had some level of impact um, on his 2021 performance and I, I think he's gonna have a big 2022 it's also a contract year for him right he's healthy He's feeling good. He's feeling better. Uh, you know, hopefully you're going to have a good partner at right tackle in Dylan Radens, potentially a better one than he had last year in Q. And uh, he, I think he's going to have a really good year. I really do. Me too. So that'll wrap up the Nate Davis section of this podcast. Our, my next thing that's good here is looking at all the observations that have been coming out and the tweets from reporters who are there. Seems like the defense is really flying around They're reportedly breaking up passes, knocking down balls, and we know that that should be a good unit. We are pretty high on the secondary here. Caleb Farley running with the first team as expected. Um, there's not really much to talk about there because, again, there's no contact. There's it's No pads are on, so they're just like the offense is installing new concepts and the defense is largely maintaining what was so successful for them last year, so they're a little ahead of the offense at this stage of the game. So I don't know if you really want to talk about the defense or the secondary at all, but I do think it's something that has been good the, at this at these practices. Yeah, you bring up a good point. I do think defense is typically ahead of offense this time of year, uh, pretty much a, a year-round thing. But I, I do, uh, I, I mean, sorry, a, a league-round thing, meaning uh, for all 32 teams, it's, it's pretty similar, I think, this time of year. But uh, I will say, that I'm, uh, of course, I'm super excited about this defense and super excited about this secondary. And I think guys like Roger McCreary, you know, Elijah Molden, Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, 
go, you know, include the safeties, Kevin Byard, Imani Hooker. I think these guys are going to be flying around, making plays all over the field, breaking up passes, claiming interceptions, forcing turnovers, taking away guys one-on-one, eliminating receivers from game plans and, and tight ends as well. So, uh, no, not all that surprising. Uh, if, if you, I don't know if you said that was the last thing you were going to say on the, no, on the good news front. One more good. Yeah, perfect, because there was one more I wanted to get to. So the one more good thing I have here is that the wide receivers who are on the field have looked pretty darn good. Robert Woods coming off the ACL looks sharp on the field. Tannehill talked about how he just has a savviness to him when he comes out of his breaks. Apparently Nick Westbrook has taken another step forward in whatever his, you know, he's just a consistent be in the right spot kind of guy. Kyle Phillips looks good. You got undrafted free agents out there making plays like Reggie Robertson. You got a guy like Josh Malone, former Tennessee volunteer who's floated around the league a little bit, taking advantage of his opportunity on the field. Um, What do you think about this wide receiver competition here? Because the first round pick's not on the field, but we'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, first of all, how predictable is it that Kyle Phillips is just running around, catching everything, making plays like – Hopefully he's on the Hunter Renfro uh, plan. You know what I mean? Like right. just, it, I remember when Renfro came out of Clemson and he goes in the fifth round or sixth round, or whatever it was, this career arc was so predictable, right? Like Hunter Renfro was going to get drafted way later than he should have. He's going to come in. He's going to outperform his draft slot, catch 50, 60, 70 balls a year and just be a big time producer. Right. So it, it would be so great if Kyle Phillips is on that same plan. It'd be so great for this Titans team who's looking for, for weapons. And you know, Tannehill loves finding his guys underneath as well. Right. So if Kyle Phillips is going to be that Hunter Renfro underneath, that would be so great. He made a couple catches. Uh, there was one on, on, on uh, film specifically. I think Jim Wyatt made a, might have captured it by mistake. Where they right. were talking out there, yeah. And he just you saw the extension where he goes up. Small guy, on, I mean, five five eleven, I think. So not the five eight, five nine, you know, Cole Beasley uh, type, but a little bigger than the average. But goes out there and, and extends for the ball. Really excited about him. Uh, didn't I say last on the last week's episode that Josh Malone was a sleeper receiver to watch to make this fifty three man roster? You absolutely did. I guess I won't, I won't pat myself on the back yet because we're obviously not there, but it was pretty funny that I, I said that before mandatory minicamp started. And then I kept seeing updates that Josh Malone was making plays all over the field. He was catching passes left, right, and center, caught a couple of touchdowns during team period. So I'm excited. I can talk about this receiver room in length. I don't know if you want to do that on this episode, but it's going to be really interesting to see me to me. It's going to be really interesting to me to see how this plays out because uh, I think that back end of the room is really fluid. I, I kind of group them a little bit where I think there's obviously four receivers that are guaranteed roster spots, of course, being Traylon Burks, who we'll get to in a second, Kyle Phillips, uh, Nick Westbrook, and Robert Woods. After that, whether they carry five or six, that's obviously up for debate. I don't think they'll carry seven, you know, based on some of the other things they may have to do, but whether they carry five or six, I group of guys like uh, Des Fitzpatrick, maybe versus a Josh Malone versus a Cody Hollister. That could be a three-way battle, right? For one spot. Cause they're all kind of boundary guys that don't play a ton of special teams. Right. So that makes sense to me. Then I look at a Mason Kinsey against a Reggie Roberson, where I don't think it's guaranteed that one of them makes the roster, but I think it's very possible that one of them does. Right. So that's kind of how I look at those five players and I, and I separate them. There are obviously some other guys here. Uh, they got a UDFA out of Air Force, Brandon Lewis. Uh, there's a Jawan Green uh, there as well, who I, I believe is a one-year pro. Uh, but I'm really looking at those five specifically. I think those are the five that are on the back end, maybe on the chopping block that that have a chance to make the roster, however. 
Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do on offense. And we're going to have an episode coming up where we really talk about the roster construction. But because of the fact that you are expecting them to to keep three quarterbacks this year, I personally expect them to keep four running backs and a fullback because they have Trenton Cannon, who's a special teamer. Dontrell Hilliard is your third down pass catching back, obviously Derrick Henry. And then they just drafted a son Haskins. So you, it would be a pretty big surprise if he didn't make the team after being like a four. And he's looked good. So there's no reason to think that he's even in danger of, of right. doing so three quarterbacks and five running backs. I mean, that's a lot of backs to, and then three tight ends who are all pretty much guaranteed a spot. That's that's a lot of that doesn't leave a lot of space for the wide receivers and and eight or nine O line depending on how that shakes out could de- could uh, determine how many receivers you keep. I'm really excited for that roster construction episode uh, that we're planning because there are so many different ways it can go. More so on the offensive side, I think. Than the, I mean, of course, the defense, there are things we could be wrong about, Let's uh, you know, just per se. But the offensive roster construction, like, I, I think you and I are going to have some really fun conversations. Uh, not so much arguments, but the three-quarterback thing, I'm starting to think twice. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, the running backs, the receivers, the O-linemen, like, I have thoughts on all of them. So I'm really excited to get into that episode. We, we might do that next week or the week after. So you stay tuned uh, for that one. Yes, please do. And so now that we have talked about that, I think that wraps up the good. Unless you had anything else good that stood out to you. No, I, I think it's uh, that pretty much does it. So let's get into the bad before we get into the ugly. And again, as I said at the top, it's June. None of this is really that bad. But it is a little eyebrow raising that Jeffrey Simmons reported to mandatory minicamp and then did not take part in any on-field activities, constantly Re- said and reset that he was on a plan that he and Vrabel came up with together. And Vrabel said, everybody has their own plan, which side little note, I love that they do that, that each guy is on an individualized development plan. I, I just love that. But for some reason, Jeffrey Simmons, not on the field. Paul Kaharski was pressing him to say, it's really weird that a fully healthy guy would be here and not be on the field. Like if you want to get better at football, shouldn't you be practicing it? And um, kind of in his snarky Paul Kaharski way, but Simmons adamant that he's not going to be involved in any contract talks. Everyone's asking him about a new contract. He just hired a new agent or a team of, he said he has a team of people that handle his contract stuff for him, which as you pointed out on our last episode was not the case recently. So what's up with Simmons? Is it part of his plan that he's not practicing in the hundred degree heat so that he can be at his freshest when training camp arrives? That seems far-fetched to me. Is it that he's dealing with an undisclosed injury that's something very minor, but they don't want to take any chances with, so he's not on the field? Or is it the more likely thing here that we are dealing with a soft hold-in, I think as they call it. He's not holding out, but a a soft hold-in. They've already picked up his fifth-year option. That's for next year. So Simmons is under contract with the Titans for two more years, but at a huge discount from what a player of his caliber should be paid so why do you think Simmons wasn't practicing, Justin? Yeah, even the 2023 50-year option is a discount, right? It's like Huge. 10 point, it's under 10 million. 11 million, I think. Like yeah. it's, it's less than double, right, of what he's going to earn annually uh, on his next contract, not to mention what he's making this year, right? Like two, three million, whatever it is. But uh, I'm pretty convinced this has to do with his contract. You know, I kind of felt that way from the beginning. And I, I, you know, I didn't feel strongly about it in the beginning. I kind of put it out there in a couple of group chats. And I said, you know, this, you know, what, like, let's, you know, 
one plus one is two, right? Like when a guy and look, the Titans, you know, individual plans and all that. I'd be shocked if a plan doesn't involve him practicing with the team, right? Like it just right. feels like a lot of chatter, right? Uh, a lot of a way to say nothing, basically, right? Um, I thought this was about his contract. Again, I was, uh, you know, I was on the cusp, but I'm like, it's probably about contract. And then, you know, Teron Davenport, great work by him, reports that he's hired an agent now. Like, come on, like the timing of this is like, you know, again, one plus one is two, right? So now I'm, I'm very convinced that this is probably contract related. I don't have any insight into that. So I'm not going to pretend that uh, I've, I, I know something about it. One thing I, I, I will say is, um, you know, having read Teron's report, um, he hired uh, Paul DeRossell, an NFL agent um, who I actually got to know really well throughout the course of, of, of the last draft season. And, and I was really excited that he hired Paul. And I'll mention it for, I'll, I'll say a few things. And, and some of you may not care about this as much as I do, but I think it says a lot about Jeffrey Simmons, the person. Paul, don't get me wrong. Paul is very, very qualified to be over to be overseeing this contract. But Paul's a, a local guy, got ties to Mississippi, ties to Mississippi State. I really feel like Jeffrey wanted to go the family route with this. And, and the reason I, I said that excites me, it says a lot about Jeffrey Simmons, the person, in my opinion, because uh, every agency in the league would have lined up to scoop up Jeffrey Simmons. And typically players of his caliber, they retain CAA, uh, athletes first, you name it. And they're all, there's all great people at all those agencies. Don't get me wrong, but you certainly get sort of the, uh, the big company feel from them, right? Uh, hundreds and hundreds of clients. Some clients get more attention than others. I remember Derek Morgan once telling a story on uh, on busting with one of the first episodes of busting with the boys that he hadn't heard from his agency for over a year, right? Until it was wow. time for a contract year, and they called him up, and that's when he decided to fire them at the time. He hadn't heard from them so long. So this is very different, right? To players of Jeffrey Simmons caliber typically go for the, the you know they, they shop at the big box stores right is what i is sort of the analogy i think of uh paul d rosell again a local guy look uh, attorney 12 years legal experience southern university law center graduate very very capable of handling this contract uh i actually spoke to paul after i read Tehran's report um, about him hiring Paul. And I congratulated Paul. I told him how happy I was that this was the case, that he was going to be working closely um, uh, with Jeffrey because, uh, again, it says so much. It reminds me of, I don't know how much you know, but Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks is agent, right? Super small local guy uh, there from his hometown, right? There, it says a lot about the person, right? Who, who doesn't want all these flashing lights surrounding them and the promises of marketing and i know nil is a college thing but you know what i mean when i say nil like no really want someone who's been in his corner and rooting for him from the beginning right and you see that jeffrey's uncle is involved jason hatcher former pro bowl defensive end you got a uh, former nfl pro bowler andre andre uh Giroud involved in this as well who i believe played was it center or guard i, I remember his playing days for the dallas cowboys what do all these things have in common in my opinion when i analyze the situation family ties right so uh i really enjoyed that about this and uh, i was so happy for paul again congratulated him on this and i have no doubt they're going to do a terrific job on his contract yeah and it's really interesting that you know he, he doesn't care to like 
to me, I read that as like, he's not that concerned with being the highest paid defensive tackle of all time or anything like that. He wants to get what his, what is fair to him, what he deserves and Absolutely. not have too much fuss about it. And that was kind of the message that he gave in his press conference where he's like, I got a team to handle my contract. I'm not talking about the contract. I don't, it'll get done when it gets done. I don't really care. So and, I do think and, that's probably why he wasn't practicing, but it's not confirmed for by any stretch. No, no. Again, we're speculating right now, right? And I didn't even, I'll be honest, I had a conversation with Paul. I didn't even pry. I just kind of congratulated him on, on getting the business and and so on. And, and and Paul, you know, Paul's represented a lot of great HBCU players, you know, guys from historical black college university. So this is what I mean when Paul is sort of uh, just such a, such a good rooted, na good natured, good rooted human being who, um, uh, who I really think, uh, the personality uh, is is part of the reason why he won over Jeffrey uh, and that family oriented business that Jeffrey is looking for. So I'm super excited about that. Right. And I know we're on the section titled the bad here, but I do want to talk about something good, which is Simmons weight. Really interesting to me. He played, yeah. he said he played last season at like 312, 315, came in at 295 to camp this year. That's a pretty considerable amount of weight. And they asked him why he thinks he'll be better at this weight. And he, he said something about how, you know, as the season goes on, carrying that much weight on your joints, it, it can lead to more injuries. It can help prolong his career and just help keep him fresher towards the end of the season. And not that he wasn't fresh when he had three sacks in the playoff game last year, but I think this is a really awesome development for Simmons. You know, play at a lighter weight, be a little bit quicker. He said he hasn't lost any of his strength. So if you can be the same amount of strength and a little bit quicker – and already had a great year last year. The sky's the limit for Simmons. So I'm really excited that that is happening. And he seems to be committed to playing the season at 295 to 300 as opposed to closer to 315 last year. Yeah. Can you imagine Jeffrey losing his strength? Like that's not something I worry about at all. Right. Even Me if he's either. lost a little bit of weight, he wants to be a little quicker, a little bit more dynamic, quicker off the ball. Uh, not worried about that at all. So no, definitely very, very excited for the 2022 version of Jeffrey Simmons. All right, let's get to the ugly here because, again, none of this is really that impactful at this stage, but it's not what you want. It's not where you want to be. You know, you, you draft somebody in the first round, asthma or not, you want them practicing with the team. And Traylon Burks, Titans' first-round pick, who they basically, I mean, if so facto, traded A.J. Brown and the amount of money they would have had to pay A.J. Brown, basically traded him for Traylon Burks and a couple other draft picks that they ended up using. But if you're looking at Traylon Burks as a replacement for A.J. Brown, the ideal way for him to replace A.J. Brown would be to be at practice and develop a chemistry with Ryan Tannehill and his other teammates and just learn the offense and go through the motions of the walkthroughs and the installs. And it makes me think that Burks will likely not be ready to contribute at a high level super early on in his career. Now, that could be the entire rookie season. That could be the first handful of games. Who knows? I mean, maybe he gets out there and he's practicing every single day of training camp. There's a lot of time left, but it's just not a good sign. And like we could be, you know, we could see things from an optimistic Titans bias point of view through rose colored or two tone blue colored glasses and say like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's so super early. You know, AJ Brown missed a lot of time and his rookie offseason before he had a 100-yard game in his first game. And sure, maybe Traylon Burks does that too. But again, if you're planning out, if you're mapping out how you want the offseason to look with your first-round pick, 
It's not missing both days of mandatory minicamp, missing days of rookie minicamp, missing practice days that led into mandatory minicamp. It's just, and maybe it's the heat and maybe it's the asthma or maybe who knows what's happening, but Traylon Burks not being on the field for as much as he's not been on the field at this point in the offseason, it's a concern. Yeah, I think what I'll say is this thing goes into full-blown concern mode if it carries over into training camp, right? Even like, even into the first week or two of training camp, like that's already late July, you know, you're what a month and a half out from week one, uh, just, you know, a few weeks away from pre, uh, you know, week one of the preseason as well. You don't want this thing to carry over. And if it carries over into then, uh, then I, I would uh, very strongly agree with you that he's probably not going to contribute a ton from the get-go and uh, you may need him to, right? Of course, right? When he's replacing A.J. Brown. And yeah, you know, again, week to week in the NFL is fluid, right? They might be able to get by by riding Derrick Henry. Austin Hooper makes plays. Robert Woods makes plays. Nick Westbrook makes a couple plays. Kyle Phillips makes some plays. Sure, there's a way to get around it. But you don't want to have to, right? You don't want to have to figure that out. You don't want to have to craft a more creative game plan because you worry about a lack of weapons and, and so on. Again, we've seen the Titans win games that way before, uh, but it's not ideal. Right. You want to have your guys available. Look, you, you got this guy by trading away AJ Brown, as you said, right? People are always going to compare the two of them, whether it's fair or not, right? He'll always be viewed as sort of a like for like replacement. So uh you, you want this guy on the field week one, you want him ready to contribute. Um, if this thing carries over into training camp, uh again, we're about a, a month and a week out from that, plenty of time, five weeks away roughly from that uh, you know, from training camp uh, announcing its welcome. So uh, if this thing carries over into then, then yeah, you should be concerned. So right now, if you had to rate your concern level for Traylon Burks, let's say week one availability, one to 10, 10 is you're very concerned. One is you have no concerns. Me, what would you that, say? Like he's going to play or he's going to contribute? He's going to play meaningful snaps in week one. I think my concern level right now is five or six maybe i'll say five and a half because i'm not that concerned uh but i'll, I'll say if the thing again if it takes over into training camp uh that probably raises to like a seven seven and a half yeah i'm with you i would have said like maybe like a four or five right now like i'm not not concerned i'm <laughs> i'm a little bit wondering if i should i'm like wondering if i should start to be concerned That's yeah, right. should i be concerned you find yourself yeah, asking yourself <laughs> exactly so we'll see where this leads but Again, lots of time till training camp. Uh, we did learn last week that training camp will start on July 26th. That's not really been like a publicly published. They haven't like announced all of NFL training camp start dates yet. So that's interesting to find out. July 26th. So we have a lot of episodes to cover until then. And we will cover, we will fill them up with some guests, hopefully, with talking about the roster construction and uh, training camp position battles, right? Which we've got into a little bit, but I think. As we get closer, that'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, once the pads come on, once the preseason football starts being played, that's when you really start to see those position battles unfold, who's taking, a, who's taking hold of a position, and we will dive into all of that. But that's all we got this week, unless you have anything else you want to add, good, bad, or ugly from Titans minicamp. No, I just want to thank everyone for sticking with us throughout this, you know, this portion of the offseason. I know it's a little bit slower, but I do think you and I have a lot of exciting things to talk about and offer up some good insight. So I appreciate those of you who have stuck with us um, throughout this slow period. 
We're going to be bringing on some guests over the next couple of weeks. Maybe a Titans player or two. We'll see how, how that goes. Uh, certainly some guys from the market that you know well and that you'll be excited to, uh, to hear chop it up with us. And I've got a lot coming for BroadwaySportsMedia.com. I like to call this the calm before the storm. Stay tuned. I won't reveal any of it yet. But look for me to embark uh, on a series uh, coming soon that's going to be uh, wide ranging, covering a, a, a lot of aspects with a lot of different Titans players. So y'all stay tuned and we'll see what I've got cooking up there. Nice. That will be exciting. And we will be back next week, like you said. But find Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. You can find me at Titans Film Room. That will wrap up this episode. Good, bad, and the ugly from Titans Mandatory Minicamp. Mostly good. A few things to be concerned about. That's the uh, too long, didn't read version. So that'll do it. We'll be back next week. Again, you know where to find us, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.